Well, good morning. That was a very tepid good morning. Good morning. Thank you. All right, our text for today is Psalm 147. And you'll see it printed in your worship guide. Let's give ear to the reading of God's word. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praise to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem, he gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars, he gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters hoarfrost. Like ashes, he hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this gathering on this first day of a brand new week as we observe the rhythm of life week by week by gathering together with you in corporate worship. Lord, I pray that you would receive glory this day and that as you, by your spirit, have inhabited the praises of your people, may you inhabit the preaching of your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, my favorite R.C. Sproul quote, R.C. Sproul was a uh, well-known, respected, uh, reformed theologian. He died in 2017. But my favorite quote of his had to do with marriage. And it wasn't, this is a quote that wasn't found in one of his books. Uh, it was found, uh, I heard it at a conference, a pastor's conference that I went to down in Florida. And this is what R.C. Sproul said. Uh, if a man makes a statement and his wife is not there to hear it, is he still wrong? <laughs> that is deep. Well, my wife and I have been married for over 48 years. She's not smiling at the moment. 
But when you get to, you've been together as long as we have, you get to know each other pretty well. You get to know one another's likes and dislikes, strengths, weaknesses, habits, idiosyncrasies, and your spouse becomes part of you. And marriage is great, uh, but it can have its challenges. Uh, you can take your spouse for granted. Uh, you can forget the, the blessing they are to you and the delight they are to you, and you forget to uh, appreciate them for that. You can neglect to give them thanks for all that they do. We can do that as Christians also in our most important relationship. Here God has uh, reconciled us to himself uh, through his son. He's adopted us and taken us as his very own children, sons and daughters. He has made us in Christ heirs of everlasting life. And sometimes we forget how great is the love that our God has lavished on us that we should be called his children. Here God has demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And yet that gospel can become old news instead of the good news that it is. Here God has opened our eyes to Jesus Christ to behold his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And having opened our eyes, we can lose sight of Jesus as we go about just living out, conducting, doing our religion. Right, how do you freshen up your relationship with your spouse? Well, a bunch of tricks, right? I guess they date nights, things like that. They, they talk about. But I think one way to freshen up, to renew, to in, reinvigorate our relationship with a spouse is to look at them, uh, to really look at them. To see them as you first did and how you've grown to know them over the years. To, the re to review the memories that you have shared and to uh, review the, uh, the journey together. And it's the same with God. With God, we want to look at him. Sometimes God is just there. He's part of our lives, but we want to look at him to lift up our eyes, to behold his glory, to magnify his name. We hear that expression in the scripture, don't we? Magnify, what does that mean? It means to make big, not that God gets bigger, but that our view of him in all his glory expands and is magnified and to rehearse his mercies to us in Jesus Christ. You know, that's the purpose of today. That's the purpose of weekly worship certainly one of the purposes. It's a renewal of relationship, a covenant renewal with this God who has brought us into communion with himself. We remind ourselves of who he is and what he has done, and we lift our voices and our hearts in praise to him as the creator and the redeemer. Now, one tool in Scripture that is especially useful for doing this, for reacquainting ourselves with the wonder of our God 
and rendering unto him the glory due his name. One particular tool is the Psalms. And we see that in this morning's psalm, Psalm 147, which I just read. And Psalm 147 features three themes to help us to appreciate and express the wonder of our God. It speaks specifically of God's glory, God's goodness, and God's grace. And let's look at each one of these. First, God wants us to behold the wonder of his glory. Now, at the beginning of our service today, in the opening section, there was a call to worship. What's that there for? Well, the call to worship reminds us that we meet with God. It invites us into his presence. And the call to worship helps us make eye contact, eye contact with the God who meets with us. This morning's call to worship was drawn from a psalm. And you see that psalm, what it's doing, it is inciting us. Inciting us to the, the praise of God. You know, we're told that we are to um, ascribe to God the glory due his name, to worship him in the splendor of his holiness. Now, what does it mean to ascribe glory to God? Well, it means to render unto him, to give him the honor that is due his name to acknowledge what belongs to him. Worship, the word worship, is a, uh, is a contraction of two words, worth and chip. Worth-ship. Where we ascribe, where we attribute glory to God. And glory is an interesting word. It means weight. It's not so much radiance. It's that, but it means weight. It means substance. And when we think of God, we want to not think of the substance of a bubble, you know, like blowing bubbles that floods through the sky and then pops. It's this gravity, this gravitas to this God of substance and glory. He is the God who is wholly other. Now, Psalm 147 acts as kind of a prism that we hold up to our eye, and through it we see the many splendored glory of the wonder of God. Verse 4. He determines the number of star, the stars. He gives to all of them their names. All right, how many stars are there? Well, scientists uh, suggest that there are over 100 billion stars, and that's just in our galaxy, in the Milky Way galaxy. And there are, I don't know how you figure this out, but there are over two trillion known galaxies. And the psalmist says, God made those stars. He determined their number, and he calls them each by name. Not that we need to look for the names of the stars, but that's a poetic way of saying that this God knows the number of stars, that he determines that number, that he is involved. Naming speaks to not only knowledge, but it speaks to ownership and authority. Now, how do we react to that? What are we to do? Well, look at verse 5. The psalmist erupts. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. 
His understanding is beyond measure. You know, we can't get our minds around that, can we? We can't get our minds around the stars, even in the Milky Way galaxy. But God, and that shows us how great our God is. He is the creator who is to be forever praised. It shows the chasm between the creator and us as creature. We cannot fathom what God knows completely. You know, one of the, uh, you know, the, I had a friend of mine who worked on the Hubble telescope. He was one of the directors of the Hubble telescope. And uh, he would, he would uh, send me these pictures of, uh, from the, the telescope and tell me some things about him. Kind of a geeky kind of guy, loved to t- get into all that. And he wrote, wrote a devotional about it, and it's very, very good. Uh, but now they come up with a new one, new telescope, the James Webb Space Telescope. And you see the pictures compared to the Hubble and the James Webb. And the Hubble, I mean, the James Webb is so much clearer. And it takes you so much more into it, into space. That's, that's what Psalm 147 is doing. It's acting as a telescope to draw our attention into the immensity of the universe. And in doing it, seeing a God who is greater than anything that we can see. This psalm brings us, it draws us into God's majesty and immensity and might. So the psalm says, God wants us to see the stars and other things of creation, and he wants us to behold his glory. And how do we respond? We respond in wonder and humility and awe. And God shows himself to be vastly different as creator from us as creature. And he is to be forever praised. All right, God wants us to behold the wonder of his glory. Secondly, God wants wants us to behold the wonder of his goodness. You know, one of the things that can take a hit in a marriage, a long-standing marriage, is that we can lose our appreciation of one another. And when we lose that sense of appreciation, we forget to express gratitude. In fact, we can even develop a sense of entitlement and maybe even harbor resentment. But when we appreciate, when we take note of who they are, take note of what they mean to us, take note of all that they do is contributing to this relationship. We are strengthened by giving thanks. All right, the same is true of God. You know, take a look at your lives. Do inventory, not just of your household goods, but of your relationships, of your health, everything. Take note of those things. And see God's daily provision. The psalmist draws our attention to God's goodness. Look at Psalm, look at verses 8 and 9. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. Verse 13. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of 
the wheat. Verse 16, he gives snow like wool. He scatters hoarfrost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? And you see what the psalmist is doing. He's pointing us to the things that we see in our lives, in, the, in nature, in our homes, all that we see. And he wants, wants us, he wants to look at these things and he wants us to see them coming from the hand of our God who extends them to us. And notice the way the psalmist puts it. Verse 15. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. Verse 18. He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. Isn't that interesting? God sends his word. Well, the idea is that God dispatches. He dispatches is the idea. He sends it on a mission. And his will, his word rushes. It hurries to the accomplishment of that mission. The God who spoke creation into being continues to guide and govern his world. And what the psalmist is showing us is that this God is not only created, he is at work in the ordering of his creation, in filling our lives with good things, in the way that nature uh, does its thing according to his design. God wants us to behold the wonders of his goodness. Now, our Lord Jesus instructed us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And if we begin our day by praying, give us this day our daily bread, isn't it appropriate for us at the end of the day to take stock of those mercies, to take stock of the provision of God, to recount his many expressions of goodness to him and to savor that and to extend to him our thanks? All right, God wants us to behold the wonder of his glory, of his goodness, and lastly, he wants us to behold the wonder of his grace. Now, this third feature is perhaps the most wondrous of all. Uh, every year, my family and I go to um, a place on Long Beach Island off the Jersey Shore called Long, Long Beach Island. And we go, it's a Harvey Cedars Bible Conference. We've been going there for 30, 30 plus years, and our children went, and now our grandchildren go, and it's a highlight of our year. This year, it was great, but I was a little disappointed. Because ordinarily, after our evening chapel, I come out, and the sun is setting. And I come out of chapel, and the sky is ablaze with orange. And it reflects off this placid, light blue bay. And the sun is a ball of fire as it goes down. And what I like to do is I like to take out my phone and I like to take a picture of it. And then post it on Facebook so that others can see. Now, why do I do that? Well, first, the disappointment was this year there was a cloud bank every time we came out of chapel, and there, I was not able to take a picture. 
And so that was a little disappointing because the reason that I like to do that is I like to see, I see this glory, this beauty, and I want to share it with others. And that's what the psalmist is doing. He wants to take the wonder of God and he wants to share it with us. He wants others to be enthralled by it. We just uh, read uh, the Word of God uh, speeding forth, the Word of God going forth to the accomplishment of His purposes. And uh, the, the, the blessings, the expressions of goodness there, the provision, are for everyone to enjoy. Whether you're an atheist, whether you're an agnostic, whether you're, whatever you might be, whether you could care less about God, whatever stripe, religious stripe you have, it's for the wonder of everyone to enjoy. God sends his rain on the just and the unjust. But the psalmist says that there's another way that God sends out his word. Look at verse 19. He declares his word to Jacob. His statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. You see what this is describing? It's speaking of this people that God entered into special relationship with. That they would be his people. He would be their God. And to this people, God would give his word. This word would be written down for us in the scriptures, in the Bible. And this word, God would reveal himself in the pages of Holy Scripture. And he would reveal his uh, attributes. His, he would describe himself. And through that, we get a more accurate knowledge of him. He would describe his Messiah, his dealings with men. He would describe his rules. And just read Psalm 119 sometime and see the delight of the psalmist in these rules and law and word and scripture that God has spoken that we might be informed and directed in the ways of wisdom and love. And then the psalmist speaks of this salvation, speaks of God's wisdom. Look at verse 10. His, that is God's, delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor is pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. And so what he says is this people on whom he has set his love have a hope. And that hope doesn't come from wherever we might expect. It doesn't come from our own strength. It doesn't come from our own ability. It doesn't come where we might think that strength is found through some means of the world through some leverage or power or money or anything, the hope that God offers is found in God himself. And it's a hope that is bound up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, as a, Christians, as a Christian, we don't enjoy a hope-so hope. We enjoy a no-so hope that is a confident expectation, assured conviction, a vibrant certainty that rests in the God who does not change, 
and who has accomplished salvation in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's telling us about. That's, you notice how it says here that those who hope in his steadfast love. Steadfast love is a single word in the Hebrew. This is Hebrew. That is difficult to translate with a single word English equivalent. Basically, it is a cocktail of grace and peace and mercy and faithfulness and steadfastness. And God has placed this in our hand as all his promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So what's it like to live in relationship with God? We're told that too. The psalmist highlights in verse 2, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up with their wounds. You see what's being described here is God's shepherding care of his people. God's shepherding care to nurse and to, uh, to nurse the wounds and to seek the lost and all, all those different things. But those who reject him, he will cast down. As it says in verse 6, the Lord lifts up the humble, but he casts the wicked to the ground. You see what the psalmist is doing, right? He's trying to open our eyes to the wonder of our God. What do we do with this psalm? How do we put it to use? Well, let me close by drawing your attention to something of the flow of the psalm. Now, the, the poetical structure is helpfully laid out in your worship guide or in the Bible. Notice this. There's a nice poetical symmetry to it. How does it begin? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. How does it end? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So it's, like, it's a nice symmetry, isn't it? A parenthesis of praise. But there's another way I'd like you to look at the psalm. You'll notice in the psalm there are three stanzas. Each stanza begins with a rousing call. Verse 1, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. Verse 7, Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, make melody to our God on the lyre. Verse 12, Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem, praise your God, O Zion. And with each of those calls to praise, to sing the glory of our God, we find a list. Each stanza begins with a call, and then there's a list. It's like fuel for the fire. It's saying, I'm praising you for this about your glory and your goodness and your grace. But you notice the last praise the Lord that ends the song. There's nothing following that, is there? Well, I have a homework assignment for you. This is the beginning of the school year, right? The homework assignment is this. That as you live your life, as you walk the garden, as you read your Bible, as you enjoy your relationships, as you drink your morning coffee, as you go to work in whatever fills your life, look at these things and make them fuel for that call to praise the Lord. In that way, your relationship with God through Jesus Christ 
will never lose its wonder. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do give glory to your name for who you are, for all that you do for us, and especially for your glory in your Son whom you gave that we might be reconciled to you. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.